I think a lot of the times we might just be going with the flow and we need to just listen to that, that voice in, in our hearts. Like what, what do we really want? And are we making the right decision? The Move Entrepreneur Evolved Podcast. Get on it. And we're back with another episode. I'm pumped about this episode. We got stories already started in the green room. I always like to say that. But you're back with the Moved Entrepreneur Evolved podcast. And I'm excited here to have Nick Roche. How you doing, man? Hey, Jason. I'm doing great. Thanks. Dude, that is so cool. So we started this thing off in uh, kind of some of uh, both of our loves of motorcycles. And uh, I was telling you a story a minute ago that I literally was taking my notes and I was going to ask you because I always like to kind of pull some stories together. I was going to say, what was it like when you got in your motorcycle? Because it was like in 2020, I think you said, OK, this is a new adventure. And then your next message to me was what, what happened? What just happened? <laughs> I li literally like less than five minutes from home, just got pulled over. Um, I guess they saw that my insurance wasn't up to date and they just pulled me over. It was like a little thing, but um had a, a pretty clean record. So they let me go. They just told me, get on the phone. They're like, roll your bike back, get on the phone with the insurance, called the insurance people. They're like, oh, you have to come in. So I like walked over and uh, got insurance renewed. And I'm literally selling the bike tomorrow. So it was a bit of a pain in the ass, but it's all good. <laughs> Made it here and happy to be here. With you, man. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm up, man. I was like, I was like, how could things kind of go that way? Because I kind of pulled back and I thought it was pretty crazy. So most of the stuff that uh, it seems like you have a passion for things. I think people that become motorcycle riders, there's something that kind of happens. Like, did you find yourself um, kind of as an avid motorcycle rider myself? Um, what did you find in motorcycle riding in like, I kind of say this because you'll understand it, but there's like some life that happens when you ride a motorcycle. Have you, did, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. hundred percent. So, um, you know, when, like I got my, my driver's license, my regular like car driver's license, pretty much as soon as I was legally able to. And I always had this desire to get my motorcycle license, but there wasn't like a path that I could see at the time. Like I would have to, in addition to having a car, I'd have to get a motorcycle. And, you know, I had other things kind of on my agenda before that. So it ended up being this like 16 year old me dream that I never really ended up you know, going for, or like, it was just something I wanted to do. And it was like on my to-do list and I never got around to it. So, um, you know, I signed up for a course a couple of summers ago, I think it was like 2020, I signed up for a motorcycle course and it was so fun. It was a little bit challenging. Like also I, I didn't know how to drive manual before. Um, so that part was new, just figuring out like the clutch and everything like that. It was like, you know, I was stalling a lot and whatever, but you know, once I got the hang of it, it was just unlike anything else, you know, just this, this freedom and this adventure. And it's just so in line with what I enjoy out of life and like the, what kind of fuels my purpose in life just for everything. And, um, I, yeah, I would, I mean, I was just super stoked about it. And for me, it was just this sense of achievement and accomplishment that I made like a younger version of myself proud because I did it. And like, it was challenging and all kinds of obstacles that I had to go through, but I ended up at, the, at arriving at that path where, um, you know, I'd gone through the license and I feel like there's still so much on that journey. Like I have so many road trips to go through and like so many other further adventures that I could do. So it's just kind of like open up this door. I feel like. Yeah. I think motorcycle riding and it kind of ties in, obviously we talk about business and we talk about the evolution of business ownership here. Um, but I think that motorcycle riding has a great analogy of like what you just said of 
the challenges of doing business. I mean, it's the same thing. Once you kind of start to see some patterns, you're like, hey, you know, at first you probably, when they said, okay, I'm going to turn left. And then you assume like you're supposed to like lean away from it. Right. But really what you're supposed to do is the opposite. You're supposed to lean into the turn. And I think it's like the same yeah. thing that we learn in business ownership. And I'm, and I'm kind of going through this myself as I evolve all the time. And I'm like, man, I missed this whole part that I didn't even do that the person that was like my competitor or something, they're doing that little part. And that's the reason. And that kind of goes into like motorcycle, like racing or something like that. But still, if you've taken a turn and you've turned and you've taken your body and went the opposite direction, naturally you want to turn the motorcycle, but let it, you won't ride properly. You know what I mean? So I think it's kind of cool, like in, in business, I think motorcycle, and then it gives you the freedom, right? And you get all the senses and you see all different avenues you can go. So I'm going to use that as my hook. How's that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I know totally what you mean. It's like, you know, counter steering is like completely the opposite of your, your intuition. And I think there's a lot of analogies and parallels with like business and what you think might help. And then it doesn't, it's actually the opposite, <laughs> you know, things like, like, I, yeah, I see so many parallels, honestly. Yeah, I'm seeing something for myself. Um, just in a few things in business, even myself, is that I under I underestimate the um, the power of the early relationship, either in video or pictures of you, and really creating kind of that story so someone can kind of buy off of you. And I think that these kind of stories that we talk about are like how people connect. You know, we just kind of connected on motorcycles, and then we're going to talk about business. But like mm -hmm. these are cool things. I think um, I always encourage people like. I would say do cool shit, you know, like I noticed that you yeah. travel a lot. Have you always been somebody that traveled? Was that like your bug? Yeah, hundred percent. Um, so my dad used to work for an airline. So we would, that was kind of like the main thing we did together. I feel like my parents were pretty busy with work and I didn't get to see them around a lot. Honestly, it kind of hurt me as a kid because I was the youngest and there was a big age gap. So my mm. two older sisters are like 13, 14 years older than me. So mm -hmm. I was like alone a lot. And, you know, I literally remember like crying to my mom and being like, please call in sick today. Like, I just want to spend time with somebody. But, um, you know, my one thing that they that I really enjoy doing with them was the opportunity to like go places and go on vacations mm -hmm. and stuff. I think it's kind of when I really connected with my passion for, for travel and realized like, hey, this is something that I really want to do like throughout my life. You think a core of it, and I'm just following a pattern here. When people talk about freedom, I think traveling and motorcycle riding encompass those so much. Yeah. Because yeah. when you ride a motorcycle, I don't know if many people have done this. Maybe I haven't said it on the podcast ever, but I worked for Harley Davidson for five years, ridden a lot of motorcycles. And there's this thing that people don't know is that you use all your senses when you're riding a motorcycle. You're listening mm -hmm. to your, your eyes, you're seeing stuff, your um, ears, you're hearing things. Your body is, is in movement. It's in unison with something, but mm -hmm. you're also free and nothing's holding you. And there's just this weird kind of feeling of being on a motorcycle that I think we, and traveling, right? There's a risk. You feel like there's mm -hmm. a risk at least. <laughs> you go. Yeah. You, there's a perceived risk. Um, but in, in reality, that's like the freedom. Um, pulling it back, I'm going to kind of step back a little bit. Um, and I'm going to kind of open up a little bit of business side. And then there was a message that you said, you said, received our award for going from zero to $100,000 cash collected in 45 days back in July. 
What's crazy is how much more that we have generated in enterprise value for our clients after six months of business. Maybe you could share with me a little bit about what was going on in that post. Yeah, for sure. So um, essentially, you know, we we kind of pivoted our business model. Um, this was like about last summer. So what we were doing before was we were doing more operations and we only worked with like a few clients. We were like one or two clients at a time. And we kind of just work in like the operations of pretty much across their business. So um, LTV, retention, churn, sales, marketing, like we work on their operations on everything, but we felt like our strength and our passion was always truly in sales and marketing. And so that kind of opened up a question of like, well, maybe we need to narrow down a little bit more and maybe we can, if we have more of a system and, and a plan and we can narrow down and focus in on sales and marketing, maybe we can achieve better results. Um, that said, I still do think that a lot of clients can benefit from, you know, retention systems, for example, just cause like, uh, an example from the, what we were doing before, like that guy had a massive leaky bucket. Like his churn was, I think, ranging from 30 to 40% per month. So in mm -hmm. that case, it wouldn't have made any sense to just go full force sales and marketing when you have a leaky bucket, like yeah. there, there's no utility in that. Right. So yes. like there is a point to retention, but we just felt like, okay, like we tried that out a little bit and we were doing great at it. We really helped bring down retention or sorry, bring up retention and reduce churn. We brought it down to like 18% and then a little bit lower after that. But, you know, that said, we felt like our main wheelhouse and passion and everything like that was in the sales and marketing, uh, like on the acquisition side of things. So that's when we kind of did a little bit of transition. We moved more into that. And, um, you know, in that time frame, we've helped about, well, since from then until now, we've helped um, three businesses with their exits. We have one in the works right now. Um, and kind of just like driving up the enterprise value, we've even added a new component because like in hiring other people, we've been able to expand our talents. So um, we brought on somebody that is more well-versed in product and UX, UI design and, and things on the SaaS side that I wasn't necessarily an expert at because I don't really have a technical background. My background's all sales and marketing. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, he has been able, for example, to help clients add AI components to their product, which has also significantly increased their enterprise value and helped um, potential investors be a lot more interested in their business and value it at a higher rate. Um, so that's kind of just to like give you a, I guess it's like more leaning more into like present day a little bit, but um, you know, that's just kind of the whole journey from when we first started up until like now and in between, including when I made that post. Something that just came up for me and I just kind of made a note, and this is many times and people that transition in business. Um, what was, it sounds like what you're talking about is you made a key hire. And um, when you make a key hire, what was going on in that? Because usually, and you would probably agree, is you, you wanted you had to let go of a lot when you hire a key player, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because you need to use their information. What was going on in the decision to hire a key player like that instead of trying to just change internal systems, which I, I think people try to do, and many times it's people, um, but people process or 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 a software. Um, what yeah. was going on for you in making a decision to hire a key role uh, was going to be the the moving part for you? Yeah. So, you know, the the thing is that I realized that you you know I'm I'm sure you're you're familiar with um 
this quadrant that like Robert Kiyosaki and and, and Rich Dad Poor Daddy kind of talks about, right? Employee. So we have like a business yeah. owner. Yeah, exactly. Like the employee, the self-employed. And and like when I was thinking about that, you know, I, I had a lot of focus on, well, I would just consider myself self-employed right now because I'm working for a client and I'm the one in the trenches. I'm doing the strategy. You know, I might be delegating some of that, but like at the same time, I just thought about it. Like I can't call myself a business owner right now because I, my business is not functioning without me. And, and I don't see it. I don't see a path to that. So I kind of thought about it like, you know what, it's actually kind of almost egotistical of me to think that I'm so good that I can't be replaced. Like there must be somebody out there that can do a better, even a better job than me, not just the same level, but even better. And when I started to kind of open my mind up to that, I started, you know, coming across people with very talented backgrounds. And that's kind of when I was like thinking okay, this, I'm definitely on the right track here. You know, if I can get yeah. people that can come in and deliver these kind of results to my clients and I can oversee things and I can make sure things, the machine is running smoothly and I can even be involved to a certain extent while I'm getting all these things up and running. But I felt like this is definitely going to be the path that I want to take because at the end of the day, the type of stuff that I do, I don't see that being hundred percent run by software VAs or any other type of other solutions that I already tried. So I feel like this was just a natural progression in the business. And just, you know, at this time, like I, I'm pretty, you know, young, I don't have like a, like a new family or anything like that, that I'm, that I'm worried about spending like a lot yeah. of my time with. So I have that time to spend in the, in the business and I'm okay with that. Um, and, and so, you know, I'm willing to kind of let that transition, like go as long as it needs to. But that said, I still want to make sure that there are systems and people there so that if I do want to step away from it further, if there's something else that needs my attention more, or if I'm, you know, just want to start a new project altogether, like I can do that and feel like this business is taken care of. And I, I feel like I could put my stamp of, of approval on the type of experience that my clients would be receiving, even if I'm not like in there hundred percent. Yeah. I think that um, <clears throat> I was just talking with someone the other day and I always say, it's like, it's not that I'm not smart. It's just, I, I'm not seeing it like you. And I think that many times what we need to pay attention to is how am I looking at this? Right. Cause one way would be like, Hey, I got to work through it. Like it's pretty natural to say, I'm just going to work more. Right. And then you're like, Oh, this person could cost me 60, 80 grand, or maybe even do fractional per person, depending on how you, how you strike the deal to have them in there. But our natural reaction is just to work harder. <laughs> at least it's mine. You know, it's my natural jerk reaction is to be like, well, okay, I'll work harder. Um, but that's really not always the answer. The other person may have the key to the lock and you're over there trying to beat it with a freaking hammer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know? I noticed uh, a couple of things. Um, are you a big reader? I noticed that uh, you like to keep a little bit of a library. Yeah, um, I, I am. Yeah. I, 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 I kind of did a little picture shot here um, and you'd taken a picture of some books that you'd been reading. And I thought that I would kind of name off these. And then I was curious, I was actually doing some real good uh, espionage stuff here, zooming in to see which book <laughs> was, which book was actually open to the most. And then I was trying to see if I, <laughs> this sounds terrible, right? But I got, Hey, this is, this has got to be original content. So sometimes you got to get weird. So I zoomed in and I, 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 I got to the two, but there's some caveats here that maybe would throw it off, but I'm going to name them here. And then maybe okay. you can share with me which two that you maybe put some more time. So the first one 
is uh, by Simon Snook, which is Start With Why. Now one, next one is Dale Carnegie, How to Influence Friends. That one's pretty powerful. Essent- Essentialism by Mick, uh, Mick, 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 Mick Owen. Deep Work, Cal Newport. Ultra Learning, Scott Young. And you have one here. I don't have the author, but it looks like it's 101 Simple. We'll know 101 simple something. Simple then you have digi- for a better life. Yeah. Okay. Then you've got digital minimalism, which is Cal Newport again, mastering the world of selling and atomic habits. Through those, what were two of them that you think? I have two guesses. I should write them down so you would think crazy, like I said about the motorcycle, but here we go. What's your thoughts? Yeah. So my, my top two there, um, I would say probably essentialism and atomic habits. I would say those two really spoke to me and stood out for me. And um, I usually try, like, I feel like there's just so many books out there that, you know, if I do reread books, but usually I try to keep like around a year or so gap, just so I have time to read other stuff. And Sometimes I think that also gives you enough space to come back to it. And it can almost feel like a new book, even though you've already read it. It feels like you kind of forgot the way that the author goes through all the content, mm. even if you remember the core principles. Um, so I'd say like those two are probably the ones that I've I've um, resonated with the most. I think read the most. I have reread How to Win Friends and Influence People a couple of times. It came up. Uh, for me personally. And then even when I was like working, uh, you know, some previous sales jobs, sometimes like they recommended that book to read and and I'd gone through it. Um, but yeah, I'm actually reading Limitless right now by Jim Quick, which mm-hmm. is an amazing book. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that I got thrown off because some of these were paperback. It, look, it looks like you did. <laughs> it looks like you yeah. went through the 101 simple. So I, I got thrown off on the paperback. <laughs> I had to go with a visual care. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the paperbacks <laughs> always get a little bit more like wear and tear than the hardcovers. And then the other caveat is that um, I usually have these also on my Kindle, and I also have audiobook versions of some of these. So with Limitless, I'm actually trying out something new that my wife recommended to me, which is to listen to the audiobook at the same time as you're reading it. And, uh, it's, I don't know. I really, I'm really like, that's blowing my mind right now. So I got that from, um, from limitless from, what's oh, okay. Uh, yeah. He Jim actually Quick. hits. Yeah. yeah. He's the one that said, you know, Hey, um, I th- you know, it was, it was someone else, but there was, Oh no, actually I got it from, um, I got it from Alex Ramosi. That's who I got it from. Okay. And he yeah. talks about this new idea of reading at the same time, listening to the audio book and that the, embodiment of the entire thing is multiplied by x i don't know if that if that's true but it seems like it right it would seem like you are engulfed in the story a little bit more yeah i was um on my way back home like last week or whatever i read through more than six chapters and i was just like in the zone i was like taking little breaks Mm. here but that was like it was crazy i felt like i was retaining so much information and it it just felt like like you're in a movie like you're almost yeah. like in a movie, like yeah. you can't get out of it because it, it forces you to move forward. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Quite literally. And the only time that I can take a break is like, if it's, uh, we just finished a chapter and we're going on to the next chapter. So I look at it as like, if I'm in the chapter, like I'm not going to stop mid page or mid sentence or mm-hmm. like none of that. I'm yeah. going to go all the way to the end of the chapter. And then if I need to use the washroom or if I need a break or whatever it is, then like I'll do it. But yeah, you're right. It kind of forces you to like sit down and, and pay attention, which is 
can be a challenge, right? Especially in this age of like digital distraction, right? Like it, it just feels like there's always this, if I'm reading a book without the headphones, I feel like I can just stop at any point. I'll be like, all right, mm -hmm. uh, I just finished here or like this page, I, I could stop like at, at any time and just be like, all right, I'm just gonna, I'm done. Uh, I'm gonna just, I don't know, do something else. And whereas when you're in the zone with this like audio and you're reading it at the same time, it feels like you're in some kind of experience. Yeah. And you just said, we, <laughs> you're so into it that you said, <laughs> we're reading this book. Cause like you, you and you and Bobby over there that are reading it for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, guys are, yeah. you guys are like <laughs> in yeah. it together. Uh, kind of like pulling this back a little bit, because I think it's interesting to people because we talked about some fundamentals of business, foundational things, buying your hire, getting structurally if you have a if you have a, a sales background and you've ever had a sales manager, the consistent thing is says, "Oh, you're off. You're having an interrupt," and they always say, "Get back to basics." Get yeah, back to the basics, right? So some yeah. of the basics that I think would be interesting to hear from someone like you is that you know um, the message is, "I grew I grow tech firms from profitable exit or IPO." What happens in that position where where a company maybe you can lay up a story or so because I think this is is uh, interesting for people. What is it? Uh, what you don't know. Uh, it's what you don't know that you don't know that'll kill you, right? <laughs> so yeah. maybe this little area people are not as 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 privy to, and that is the the point of saying that I would like to exit, or I'd like to go to IPO. What would the scenario look like where someone is? I am now at that position. I'm sure it's never perfect, of course. But what is those indicators that somebody would look at that they would have a successful exit or transition IPO? Yeah, so I think that, you know, sometimes it's opportunistic. Sometimes it's just a matter of like where the business is at and the growth trajectory that somebody could say, I feel like it's the right time to sell because uh, they're kind of just looking at it from a profit perspective and like when they started the business, obviously, versus like, where is that now? And they want to kind of sell at that peak of um, revenue and and just overall enterprise value and all those other kind of metrics that somebody would be looking at when they are looking to sell or IPO. And um, the other side of it is more just on the founder side in the sense that they're just done with the business, like for whatever reason that could be. You know, maybe that's something personal for them. Like it could be family related or like something happened and they're just like, you know what, I'm done with the business. Um, and sometimes it's not the most favorable position, but ultimately at the end of the day, if, you know, the founder or somebody with like a large stake in equity wants to kind of move forward with that decision, then um, sometimes it's like not the most ideal spot, but that's just like what has to happen. So I'd say those are like the main two things. It's like either it's at the peak of the business and like they want to sell um, for that opportunity in order to get, you know, more, um, money in and then the other side of it and then get that profitable, like super profitable exit, right. Just based on the numbers and like all those things. And then the other side is like, I may not be getting the best bang for my buck here on this sale, but I'm just, I'm done with the business right now. And I, I just want to find a buyer. And I, I just want, like, it's more of a pain point. Like I want somebody to take this off my hands and it's their business now and they can kind of deal with it. And I know that it's kind of a broad term, but maybe we can bring context to it. And we say, you know, tech firms, that could be anything of software, SaaS, that could turn into anything. Um, mm -hmm. What are some examples that you've kind of enjoyed in the process? Yeah. Like um, what kind of businesses you mean? Like what, what kind of... Yeah. Um, what, what type of sectors firms? do you find um, that are easier to go? Because I'm sure, it, and, and I mean, I'm kind of saying this 
kind of knowing some of the answer, but you, you know, in many, in many cases, um, some businesses are easy to exit than others. Yes. Um, yeah. And positions are exited and, you know, it was really funny. I don't know where you have, did you watch any, do you watch boxing at all? Did you watch the, yeah, I, yeah, I actually, I used to compete when I was in my teens. Um, I'm a big Dude. boxing guy. Yeah. You came to the right guy. Um, <laughs> So then you'll you'll understand this, and I think that this is something that'll correlate pretty quickly. Is um, Ryan Garcia is a very uh, he he has speed as a boxer, and I've said this for a very long time. However, I don't think Ryan Garcia is fast. And when I say that, um, being fast is many times in the right position. And Ryan Garcia has the ability to have great twitch muscle reaction, but his positioning doesn't allow him to be fast. And I think that in um, kind of the business side, when you find people that are maybe exiting or they're going and doing it, there's certain sectors that are going to be fast, which means that they're positioned correctly. And then there's ones that are just like, okay, I'm, I'm here. Who wants to take my money? In those two, um, what type of industries are you focusing on and why in those type of sectors? Yeah, so I would say... I enjoy working with MarTech, like marketing tech, um, sales tech, like mainly just because I think I've had the experience of being on the user side of it. And I see how much that that could, you know, really make someone's life easier. And I understand that from a personal perspective, and it makes it a little bit easier to, you know, find a value proposition and, and pretty much just like makes everything easier because like there's a lot of relatability to it. Um, I've also been really into e-com lately as well. Been working with uh, a mm. few different e-com companies um, who are, you know, helping mainly like I would say, you know, drop shippers or wholesalers like on on Walmart and Amazon, things like that, Shopify. Mm. So like I'd say those three are probably the top ones. But honestly, across industries, I would say anything with an AI element has been huge lately and the multiples are crazy and um, there's a lot of opportunity right now. So it's kind of like just kind of get it while it's hot kind of thing. And yeah, I've worked with like a number of different industries too. You know, I've worked with like an auto automotive SaaS uh, that, you know, helps car dealerships. I've helped some people in the insurance space, uh, real estate. So, you know, it's honestly, I'm interested in a lot of things. And I, I think that's what's really cool about mm -hmm. what I do is like, if I can, you know, connect with the founder, if I feel that connection between them, if I can see the value prop, if it's a good product, um, you know, I, all I, I might need to do a little bit of homework if, if there's a bit of a gap, but I've also done a lot of things in most of those spaces. So mm. I feel like I have like a, a good baseline understanding of a lot of um, these industries. I used to work in a car dealership for a little bit. Um, I, at one point I was really interested in doing my real estate license, didn't end up, you know, moving forward with that, but I had interest and I studied a lot about it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that those type of like micro experiences really helps me when it comes to like working with a client that's in a different space. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of like to answer your question, it's kind of like, I have a few, but at the same time, I feel pretty open to like multiple industries. And then, um, what are the fundamentals, I guess? Um, and I try to, and the only reason I'm bringing these things out is because I think that it's very, it's. It's a great time to have somebody kind of like you in that position have this conversation because I think there's a lot of opportunity for people with a lot of skill sets to make different deals. Meaning that you're coming yeah. at it at an angle saying, hey, if I can do this, I don't know how you negotiate your deals, but 
um, you know, maybe I can get a piece of the exit or, hey, here's a, pro- a percentage of profit. There's so many angles. What are you seeing in the market in the shift of technology because of this shift? It, because you're sitting at this part, like a lot of people, if I were to trust use this as an example, most people are sitting in, in this part, right? But you're catching mm-hmm. it here. Yeah, maybe right here. <laughs> Try, trying to give us a, <laughs> a scale grief. But you know, you're kind of, you're, you, most people are fighting this fight. And then what you're doing is you're saying, hey, uh, this, is, uh, this is something that's already moving. Is this something that we're going to see more of, do you think? Yeah, so I think it kind of like depends because there's also like, I feel like the tech bubble has kind of burst, broadly speaking, right? Mm, because that's like, an interesting let's conversation. say, yeah. Yeah, let's say like five to 10 years ago, even the multiples were crazy and we're kind of seeing that drop down a lot, but the same thing's happening now with AI. So it's like if a you know traditional technology firm that just built a software with no AI elements were to, let's say they were, they were trying to exit and they were looking for evaluations from accredited investors, uh, you know, reasonably speaking, they, they might not be seeing the valuation that they we're expecting like let's say five years ago but if there was an ai element involved then you know we're typically seeing six to seven x multiples on an ai product so so the question would be that if you have conversations with somebody that's over the next six months it sounds kind of funny but look at finding a way to integrate ai into your business model yeah, pretty much. So that's what we're doing. Like with one of our e-com clients, um, you know, they just had a software tool and we have found that bringing in an AI element to help Walmart sellers to use AI in order to find profitable products quickly instead of needing to do it manually is going to significantly change the trajectory of growth and really attract a different crowd of investors that might be interested in something like that, as well as significantly increase the multiples that they'd be getting on the sale. And um, yeah, and of course, if we are part of that exit, then that would also help Mm -hmm. um, us at the end of the day as well. Uh, Are you, you, uh, do you have a partner yourself or do you tend to, are you so entrepreneur type? Yeah. So it kind of just depends on the client. Like I'd say lately, I mostly everything I've been doing is with the team just because I find it kind of hard to do everything myself these days. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Like I said, even with AI, right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and in the spirit of, you know, this whole, um, not wanting to necessarily be in the self-employed bucket for too long. Um, I've been working everything with my team. So, um, I hired my wife, about a year ago, a little bit more than mm. a year ago now. And so she's been getting a lot of exposure to the field and uh, that's been really fun. She's been working with me on a lot of stuff. And then um, I brought on another another guy that I mentioned who um, his wheelhouse is kind of like product UX UI and a lot mm. of the like, you know, technical side of, of the, the product. So, and he has, uh, he built a couple of products in the web three space with another guy who, you know, coded everything and, and so on. So um, though we actually brought those guys in to build out the AI product for one of our clients. So that's kind of like a team project, but that said, mm-hmm. I see the value given to the client, just being able to be so much higher. So it's like, I wouldn't, there's no reason why I wouldn't want to bring in a team that can kind of, we yeah. can all work together to get things done and help the client, um, you know, get a much bigger output from, from their business. 
And uh, as opposed to me just coming in and doing like whatever limited things I could do with my time. And I see this as being like a much better option. So that's kind of the route that we're going with them. And that's probably the route that I'll be continuing to go with, with any future projects that we work on. So when you kind of lay it down, it's kind of a, a prepare to sale or scale to sell a model, which is basically, yeah. these are the gaps we need to fill. This is the time that it's going to take. And then you take them straight to IPO or exit. So you're part of the growth and then part of the exit. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. That's typically what we want to do. Um, you know, as long as they, the client wants to sell. So of course there'll be times where they're happy with the growth and they want to retain ownership and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's more just giving you the option to be able to exit if and when you want to. I think that's really what it's about because again, coming full circle um, to what we were talking about earlier, Jason, it's like that freedom, that freedom that we were talking about with like motorcycles and traveling yeah. and like, yeah, it's, exactly. it's like same thing in your business, right? You never want to yeah. feel chained down to your business. If you want to leave, you should have the option to leave. It shouldn't yeah. be a situation where it's like, oh, I have so much debt and I don't have that growth trajectory that I'd need to you know, have investors be interested in my business. Like there shouldn't be any red flags there. We want to make sure everything is healthy and we want to make sure everything is systemized so that if and when you, you want to leave and you want to move on to something else, or if you just want to get your chunk of change and go travel the world, like spend time with your family, figure out what's next, you should have the option to do that. I thought there was a book called Build to Sell, Built to Sell. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those, um, zero to a hundred million books. Yeah. 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 Zero to one hundred. Yeah. Those, um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting to see, uh, kind of how, um, kind of a, there's a little, there was a company called the penny saver out here, uh, probably in Arizona and California, whatever they're out here 30, 40 years. Um, and I remember, um, they've been around, they were literally for years, icon in the area. And there was somebody that was working for them and they had came to me and um, they had, the company had gotten bought by another company that was in New York. And, you know, kind of the New York attitude is different than the California style. <laughs> it's just different. Some people yeah. good, some people bad, depends on where you want to be. <laughs> um, but the idea, my first experience of having things come over, there's twofold, right? Um, they came over, they said that they were going to take over the, the penny saver and the penny saver was a magazine subscription. Well, no free magazine. Um, you know, those paper ones, they send them out and then all the ads are inside of them. And I remember when they bought the business and they had all these ideas, but they weren't interjecting the new technology. And no matter how much their paper business was there, and they funded it, they ended up having to close it because it didn't have any legs to the next round because they just couldn't get the next, you know, they didn't have enough subscription or fast enough to get people to buy into some, you know, just a website that they pay monthly into or something like that. It just wasn't feasible. And so I think what yeah. you're saying is so valuable to share with people that if you're going to be making a move, if you're going to be building something, look for the next round of how is it connected to AI? Because if it's not, then even that keyword is going to just throw you out. I mean, that keyword could give you another 2x. <laughs> I mean, sound, yeah. I don't know, you're on motorcycles or cars. You remember, can, I don't know if you remember can and air filters, if you ever drove a lot of cars, but they were like, you put this air filter on and it gave you like, Five percent more horsepower, right? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the same thing, you know. It's a little yeah. bit more boot. 
Yeah, exactly. That's what it's all about. And it's just kind of like taking advantage of the opportunity that's there today. And obviously, as we know, today is it's always a new day every day, right? So we're in that moment right now, but it's going to be gone soon. So it's like just there's a window and we are in that window of opportunity. So, you know, if you're listening to this right now, then you might want to think about that and, and see like how you can make that fit into your business. And, you know, before that window of opportunity closes. Yeah, because we're kind of in a gap of, I, I would share with people, I've been doing online stuff for quite a long time. And the number of people still to this day that don't even collect email addresses and or don't see the value of collecting an email address is still a large group of people. Oh, yeah. And businesses across the nation in Canada, the US, or there's still that like gap of people at a certain age point. We haven't broken that. They haven't been, they haven't been, they haven't, <laughs> do you like Brave? Or no, you remember Braveheart? No. You like that movie? <laughs> you never seen Braveheart? Um, oh, no, man. it sounds like vaguely familiar. Is it an okay. movie? You, okay, you got to write this down, man. This is this is some good. This is some man shit for you. So next time we talk, you have seen Braveheart. This is important for your soul. Okay, but he said, got it. <laughs> he's in Scotland and they're talking. And he's, it, I don't know why I brought this up, but he says, "If we can't bleed them out, we'll breed them out." <laughs> and the concept was <laughs> that we can't kill everyone, but we can breed our ways into the new way, right? And I think that that's what's kind of happening. And it sounds kind of a crazy way to put it, but wouldn't you agree that these the, that there's a majority that are just eventually their desire of not learning the new thing, they're just going to get weeded out. And this is what's happening, I think. I think this gap is starting to press these people out. And then all mm-hmm. these other people that have tech knowledge are saying, hey, I can take what you have done with your manual labor and I can multiply. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's kind of one of those things that is like adapt or die right now. And I think that we're starting to slowly see the effects, right? I mean, chat GPT was like a huge storm that kind of has taken everybody and and changed up the way that I don't know about you, Jason, but like in my day-to-day workflow, like things are way different than let's say like last year before having this tool. I mean, it's really changed things up. And I think that, you know, we're starting to see little micro examples. I'm not sure if you heard about that McDonald's, I think like somewhere in Texas, that's like fully robotic. And we're, we're just seeing like these things change. And I think it's a great thing for humanity. Like we're moving in the right direction. And I think that it's also highlighting the skills and the importance of, of like what makes humans different. Why are mm-hmm. humans important? And, and what can robots do that robots are good at? And what can humans do that humans are good at? I think we're seeing more of that separation. I think it's a great thing because like, I don't think that humans should be spending time doing this like repetitive manual labor. I think that we are here on this earth to use our skills and potential to its fullest. I think that goes for everyone, even if that might look different to everyone. So, um, you know, AI, I think it's kind of the same thing. It's like, we need to adapt. We need to work with it. And it's not here to take away, you know, all of our, our responsibilities on this, on this planet um, tomorrow, but we're just kind of growing with it and progressing with it. And, and I like the way it's going. I'm not, I'm not afraid of it. 
Well, I'm going to close you out with something that you had mentioned a couple of days ago. And you said today, it was a little while back, but maybe it holds some value to you still today. And you said, it was my 26th birthday today and being a naturally extroverted, the past 25 were often spent surrounded by company while being in quarantine poses its own set of unique challenges. I'm excited to spend learning to celebrate physically alone and be more introspective. I wrote a blog post and you said, there's, uh, here's some key points to that where take absolute nothing for granted. Financial freedom is less stuff. <laughs> Unlearn being a follower and learn to be an individual, regardless of what happens, you can be better. Uh, you can uh, you can be bitter or you can be better. How much of those things have changed in the last couple of years for you? Wow, um, that's powerful. I I just turned like twenty nine. Uh about like 11 days ago. So I really appreciate the digging you did because I was like over three years ago. <laughs> but, um, you know, like I, I actually feel like a lot of those things are still so true to me. And that's very like authentically me. I think, um, you know, I think being your own person and kind of like leading your own journey is so important. And I think it's, it's very easy to, you know, look at social media or something else and kind of like try to follow someone else's path. But I think it's it's super important to to lead your own journey and just like I think yeah I mean I think it was maybe more true as I I was a little bit younger but I do feel like there was a point where a lot of people just wanted to like do what their friends are doing and that could go for little micro decisions like you know let's say if somebody's choosing like what school they want to go to they're like oh but my friend's going here I don't want to split up with my friend and they might make a big decision based on yeah. what someone else is doing. Yeah. And, and that, you know, I think that still carries on through adulthood. And, you know, um, I think a lot of the times we might just be going with the flow and we need to just listen to that, that voice in, in our hearts. Like what, what do we really want? And are we making the right decision? Dude, Nick, this has been awesome, man. I appreciate the time. Been an incredible guest on the moved entrepreneur of all podcast. Thanks. That was an incredible way to close it out. If you enjoyed this podcast, if this is on a short or on a reel, make sure that you like and subscribe. And also for other people that have been on this podcast, make sure you go back and check out other people because they're just as awesome as Nick. Thanks a lot, Nick. This was incredible, man. I appreciate you. Thanks a lot for being on the podcast. Thanks, Jason. We'll see you soon. If you like this episode, make sure you smash the like button and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just like Nike is to athletes, Moved is to entrepreneurs.